Podcast, the Music Explorers Podcast, and as always, I'm Scoop Magoo. I'm Jim Jam. And as uh, is off to happen, that's actually how this podcast was spawned. You know, in, in previous iterations of this podcast, um, through, through our stupid conversations. Yeah, we, yeah. When when Jimmy and I talk, you know, we. I mean, I think some of our earliest episodes when we first discussed doing a podcast, we literally just turned the mic on and talked. And we, lo and behold, the, the things haven't changed. I know exactly. And and last week we did, uh, which is a really cool idea that um, Jimmy had, was the state state of the music industry. We talked about streaming, music media, and a host of other topics. And at the tail end of our conversation, we started talking about two really interesting topics that we thought warranted their own episode. Um, yeah. It just kind of organically based on how we were addressing some other aspects of modern music and the music industry and streaming and media and whatnot. Um, these two really distinct points came up. One being um, kind of the evolution of nostalgia and whether or not nostalgia is really a you know kind of a, a modern creation, at least in terms of how music is created. And then the other, which I'm going to refer to it like this because I think it's funny, are we running out of in- instruments? Because <laughs> I, I just think that's a great way to put it. Um, and I think I'd really like to start with, um, because I, I think one versus the other is a little bit more open-ended um being the I, mean, nostalgia- I, I, I think they're, they're both very open i think they both are own. but nostalgia that one just interests me more for, for yeah. whatever reason just because when you said um you know that one quote and i forget exactly what, what you said and obviously we'll talk about it in the course of this conversation but you said something that really triggered um an interest in my own you know my own thoughts and machinations whatever goes on up there of racking my brain to look back at, at different decades, and you know the topic we're gonna, we're going to discuss is, uh, you know, why haven't in the past we seen the kind of nostalgia we're seeing today? You know, if you listen to pop radio, even in uh, other genres, you know, post punk, uh, mainly genres that involve synths or involve those kind of um, kind of new wave 80s overtones uh, it's so prevalent today i mean taylor swift released one of the biggest pop albums of the last several years of 1989 uh, the weekend obviously has kind of made a recent career out of updating michael jackson's uh, palette uh, any number of pop artists now are pulling oh, yeah. from, pulling from the but, 80s it's a super super common palette to pull from and we, now we're starting to pull from the 90s i mean with uh, poppy's new album like, yeah, exactly. being like and pretty I, new medley i would say that um uh, Billie Eilish really pulls from kind of that 90s grunge angst. Definitely not, you know, not so much the sonic aspects in, in music. Yeah, but like, there's some difference. But maybe kind of, more of like a uh, like a Fiona Apple, you mean? Yeah, I, I could as see As that. opposed to Nirvana? Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Just pulling from that era of very... Um, the Alanis Morissette, you know, yeah, the, the, the female singer songwriter of the ninety the, who, the pop and rock, who probably needs a shower. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> like the, the pop and rock um, uh, rebels, basically. Like they, it, it was accessible in those lanes, but definitely was an outsider while also being an insider. Kind of that. Yeah. Walk, and we talked about that last week of how she walks the line between a lot of different um, avenues. But having said all that. Why didn't similar, because we're talking about, you know, the 2010s and the 80s, that's about a 30-year gap. If you go back to previous decades, they're all defined by their own specific... Well, so I'm, you were just going to say, yeah, they're sort of, they have their own little sounds going on. When when we think back today, you'll be like, oh, like we pulled a lot from past genre, because that was also, you know, people like... Bruno Mars, for example, like his most recent output was very inspired oh, yeah. by like seventies disco and funk, and so today, oh, yeah, a it, lot and of, like high energy music, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like like that. Back, you know, a lot of modern artists are pulling from previous genres, but if you go back to the nineties, the eight, you know, eighties, obviously seventies, sixties, you know, they all have a very distinct, unique sound that didn't necessarily pull from an older, you know, older decade genres or older so, decade style. And I, I would lo- I would love for you to introduce some examples because I, I yeah I had trouble finding any. Well, it, it was funny. Uh, like the day after uh, we recorded our last episode, I just stopped dead in my tracks. I'm like, fuck! I totally forgot that there was a like a swing revival in the '90s that was like very short lived. 
I don't know if you even remember it. Do, do you remember the the movie um, Swing Kids? I think Christian Bale was in it. It was like one of his like early roles, or is there, there was someone big in that movie? I can't remember who. Um, but there was this very very small short lived swing revival in the nineties, which was like <laughs> it just seems like it's out of nowhere. But you know, it's I, I mean, it, it really like Squirrel Nut Zippers. You know, are probably the biggest band to probably still be remembered uh, yeah yeah um you know i so like it, it happens and then i think also in the 90s uh second wave of ska which i i don't know if you would count that per se as sort uh, of a actually, nostalgic revival i but... think that might be the best example yeah of that because that really um you had you know the specials english beat um oh, i think it's madness or madhouse um, it, uh, well, the, the, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Well, I was talking about back in like the, the 70s or whatever, you had the specials. Oh. And I think there was there was yeah. a band that did Our House in the Middle of Our Street. I'm pretty sure their name was Madness. They were, they were like that UK ska scene you're talking about. You're totally right. You know, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Real Big Fish. You know, you had bands in the 90s and early 2000s who really updated that with a much more punk uh, focus. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, the distinction is. In the mainstream, like mainstream pop, mainstream rock, you didn't really see like the, pro- like all the artists we mentioned today who have pulled from the 80s are really, really prominent artists. Like these weren't, because we could talk about yeah. the, the, the Misfits, you know, obviously the Misfits pulled a lot from, you know, Al- Elvis era, you know, the 50s, that kind of... Um, yeah, but the, I mean, they, they definitely put their own edge on it. I, I, I think sure, that's yeah. going to be the crux of the argument here is, is that, you know, no matter what we like no no matter what nostalgia sort of has come up uh it always has its own flair to it mm-hmm. uh you know you, you, like for think... example it, well so uh I, i'm gonna get into this a little bit later but uh there's i oliver kemp from uh, deep cuts did a really great video on uh vaporwave and like hauntology mm-hmm. and he i'm just gonna quote this little snippet that he said is is that um sort of the, the past can never exist in the same way it once did, since mm-hmm. our view of it is being informed by the fact that it happened. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a brain fuck. If, <laughs> but if you parse through it, it's, you know, like, it, it, like time, you know, things are cyclical, but they aren't as cyclical as we'd like to believe. It's not like they repeat perfectly. No, and, and that's a really great example. And this is going to pull from a different, um, a different art medium entirely but lauren and i have loved watching uh, american horror story you know it's a very unique show the most recent yeah. season was american horror story 1984 the whole idea was they pull from 80s slasher films whatever and i feel like that is a great example of how to uh, incorrectly utilize nostalgia because essentially <laughs> they just like shot for shot took trope after trope from the 80s without doing anything new with it like, there were so many scenes, I'm like, yep, that's from Halloween. Yep, that's from Friday the 13th. Yep, that's from Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, they just took from the past and just essentially it had better production value. You know, it was made in the present. Like, I think for nostalgia to work, kind of, and that, that again is a great quote, it needs to be old but new. You know, it needs to be... Well, I, I you know, I, I, I think we're, we're sort of touching on sort of... A, a key aspect of creativity which is mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I mean to, to put it bluntly it's you know stealing basically yeah uh, the idea that you know all artists you know take influence from somebody else but they're able to sort of feed it through the filter of themselves and make something new out of it even if it's something like uh, I think John Oswald was his name who uh, you know basically pioneered like plunder phonics just mm-hmm. taking all these old songs and just you know splicing them up and like repurposing them for something new exactly and i think um, someone like the weekend i mean the weekend is obviously very i mean he even covered jerry diana but he yeah he's very influenced by but, michael jackson but he's also very clearly his own artist and i think yeah. you know that that's um that's the distinction is that you take influences and repurpose them in it's almost like a i guess the example is a collage like how seamless the collage is is how successful the nostalgia is where you can see things you can relate to and you recognize but it's presented in a new way because i mean this could go into a different rabbit hole of uh, you know what constitutes generic um you know what artists are 
sir before we sort of move on to that i just wanted to point out with um that american horror story example um just that i i i think that that's maybe more of an example of fan service than it is of you know someone genuinely trying to make something original like that's a great term to capture because it really i mean uh have you seen any of the friday the 13th movies uh i actually haven't uh, which is really funny because I've seen every Nightmare on Elm Street movie. <laughs> there's so I, I won't because I'm not, I'm not a fan of, of spoilers. I don't like spoiling things for people. Um, I, I mean, one Scott, they're like 30 years old. I know, but, but but still, uh, there's this, a very very famous scene in the first Friday Thirteenth movie. They literally created like shot for shot or recreated in yeah. This. So I think fan service is a great way to put it. That it's more like people want to just see that done in a higher production quality versus like, hey, we're doing something new with this formula. Um, kind of like a great example is, um, have you ever seen uh, Cabin in the Woods? Well, I, I was actually thinking of that, that movie. I, I haven't seen it, but, 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 but I know exactly what you mean, that it's, it's very much like, a, like an homage to yeah, horror films of the past. It, it totally put a new, and I don't want to, because the, the twist in the movie is really, really cool, but they take so many of the classic elements of old horror films and they frame it in such an interesting and unique light. Um, and I feel like that's a great example of nostalgia done right. Is you see all of these aspects of what you love from the past, but it's done in a new and creative way. Um, and to kind of get back to the center of our conversation, yeah. I just feel like it is a very unique moment we're living in where like we're seeing this done so frequently and you know it's so widespread with the 80s. I feel like in the mainstream pop and rock movements of going back to, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, kind of what you would consider contemporary music. You didn't see that, or I think more accurately, each of those decades had their own specific um, sound. Like the sound of the 60s was so, in the 70s, it was so specific to itself, it didn't feel referential. Like when you think the big artists of the 70s, uh, you know, rock and otherwise, you think you know, disco was coming into his own. You had hard rock and then heavy metal was shooting, you know, offshooting. Yeah. The evolution of genres versus taking, and I guess you could make an argument heavy metal was essentially um, potentially nostalgic for blues. I think that's, I don't think that's a totally well, accurate I, I description rock of it. Was. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's a totally accurate. You know, obviously every genre is evolving from a point of, of, um, of some sort, but I think that's different from nostalgia. Nostalgia is specifically taking very, very specific aspects of one genre. And in a lot of cases, when we're talking about nostalgia with the 80s, they're taking elements, you know, pop artists are taking elements from 80s pop. You know, we're, we're within the same genre, it's just reframing it in a new way. Whereas if you have something like heavy metal, that was taking something completely different, you know, blues and hard rock and kind of evolving into a totally different direction mm. or like a, a I, new, refresh, you know, fresh direction. So, I, I mean, I, I guess the question is why there isn't why isn't there that in those earlier decades and i i I think the reason is more economic than anything um and i think just basically i the the teenager the concept of the teenager didn't really exist at the beginning of the century Hmm. uh you know it was something that companies basically created to try to market to a new audience you know uh so you know with that there also comes this idea you know like uh i mean i i I think elvis is probably the big keystone in this conversation that like you know people sort of realize oh hey we can sort of make you know a phenomenon out of this one person uh you know and so like i i think that was you know sort of the beginning of pop culture i mean if you think about it like the earliest pop culture references people usually make are from like the 50s mm-hmm. you know you always see retro 50s designers things like that you know uh like it's that's sort of like where it all happened and i so i think sort of raveled like all sort of rolled up into this ball is also the idea that you know the generation the current generation that's influencing things are always doing it to, to sort of rebel against the generation that came before them mm-hmm so you know i i i think you, you you sort of get that those leaps and bounds that you get in like uh you know like something like hard rock 
sort of developing into its own, becoming like progressive in some areas, having like Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Pink Floyd sort of doing their own thing. Um, you know, so I, I think there's those two, those two things to put into play. But I think, you know, I think the big thing is just economically. And I think since the 50s, you know, capitalism has sort of taken this strange turn. And, you know, I, I think in like the last like 30 years has kind of like, like recursed a little bit. Like it's sort of turned onto itself hmm. in like this weird, like almost like Ouroboros type of mentality that it, it's like you know nostalgia is everywhere right now i mean the, 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 just look at movies you know like 90 percent of movies that are coming out right now i or at least 90 percent of the ones that are advertised by you know a mainstream film company are you know just reboots from old ips mm-hmm. you know and it's it's things like that like you know people are always trying to reimagine it, like you know, uh, you know, if, if something was a movie in the '80s, oh, it's going to be a TV show now, or vice versa, or mm-hmm. you know, what have you. Like, it, it's. I mean, Disney is probably the biggest <laughs> offender, just taking all these movies that they, you know, did, and just rehashing them again, spending millions of dollars for whatever fucking reason, and, and just presenting them again. You know, it's 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 very interesting in a in a way just sort of how like it's just all kind of twisted in on itself yeah uh, and if i can i think I'm, this might be a might be unrelated but i think it's leapfrogging yeah. leapfrogging off what you're saying um yeah. I, I think that we've seen this in the way that movie producers have approached um marketing and have have taken what's happened before and kind of adapted to where audiences are now. And I think a good example is, um, this is, I mean, a very specific example, but the set, you know, the second monsters Inc movie, uh, monsters okay. university. Yeah. Um, that was heavily marketed and there's similar, you know, cartoons from the early two thousands that were marketed to my generation, you know, in 20, whatever to the 2010s because they knew that we were nostalgic for that movie when it was first you know first came out and we had the spending power and Mm. i think there might be something to that that now that and this might be getting a little bit into our second conversation now that it's easier than ever to produce and distribute music um i think labels are more willing to latch onto trends like this and really promote it and and the 80s trend is really stuck. Maybe it's because people who grew up in the 80s and enjoyed this are now at an age where they can more readily um, support these kind of artists. And, and that's a little bit of a... And, and in turn, you know, maybe they appreciate the same music that um, their kids are now enjoying because they hear tones of the 80s. I mean, there are a ton of pop artists today that I know my mom likes. You know, she grew up in the 80s and she appreciates, you know, like a Bruno Mars or whatever. You know, this mm-hmm. is the music that sounds like when she was growing up. You know, I don't know how true that is, but I feel like that things are cyclical. And I know that the larger entities like labels and movie producers and, and studios, whatever, know that. They know that um, you can get people on both ends. You can get them while they're younger, you know, while they're young and impressionable. Yeah. And you can get them on the other end when they're old enough to remember what they liked in the past. Now they have spending power. You know, oh, yeah. On, on one end, they're, they're you know, bugging their parents. Hey, buy me this record. Buy me, you know, I want to go see this movie. Buy me these toys. Now, when they're older, they're like, hey, I remember that, and I can just buy it myself. I mean, um, great example for both of us, Pokemon. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I'm, for, I'm 25 years old, and for Christmas, I asked for a, uh, a Nintendo serious. Switch and, and the newest Pokemon game. I mean, just because that's something I will always play probably for forever, if I'm being honest, just because yeah. it just it hits that nostalgic button. It's something that I remember so fondly. And I mean, if, they're also just fun games as well. They're really fun, but and I think it's interesting because even though if you actually look back and objectively review like the first generation of Pokemon games, they're bad games. Like There are <laughs> so many issues with it, it's not even funny. I mean, it doesn't mean it wasn't fun. But in terms of like a technical game gameplay standpoint, there were so yeah. they were really flawed. But what's important, and I think this is what informs nostalgia more so than anything, is feeling. 
like what do you feel like what do you remember like how do you feel about it because mm. when i think back to the early pokemon games i remember i had pokemon yellow it's like the most fun i've ever had playing a video game like the idea of exploring the region capturing your own you know monsters or whatever um and i think that's maybe why we look so nostalgic you know whenever i'm in between especially i find whenever i'm like in a bad mood or whatever i listen to the dumb stupid music i used to listen to in high school because mm. in high school things were simpler music was simpler everything was simpler so like the you know the the breakdown heavy you know yeah the, core and stuff the, like the, that the the, the, the lug riffs and exactly because yeah. i don't i don't have to think about it like i remember like oh like this is really really immediate enjoyment um and yeah. i feel like in a way specific to our conversation about the 80s i mean that's kind of what i mean you could argue that's what pop music is you know in general but 80s pop was super over the top flashy hit you you know hit you in in the nose right off the bat maybe that's also why it has appealed now you know maybe because they're taking those elements you know that focus that you know that framework for building a pop song you know the flashy synths you know the big you know, big personalities you know big hair stuff like <laughs> that like the, the, oh, the hair <laughs> i i, I <laughs> love the 80s so much like like it, it, this is even before people started latching on to it like I, i've just like it's a fun I, decade. It really yeah, is. I, I really wish I could go in, back and live in it because, like, you know, I, I, I mean, it, it just seems like, yeah, just so much fun. Even though there's a lot of fucked up shit that happened in the '80s. So, yes, that's true. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, it's, it's like just the idea of nostalgia. It is really interesting just to see how it influences music, mm-hmm. and sort of, I, I, I think the bigger like. like why I think it's just something we can't really can't really like tamp down to something concrete almost like I mean to, to be fair I'm not like some sort of cultural theorist so it's not like I've been like reading Derrida for like the last decade and like <laughs> you know have an idea of, of what's going on in the cultural zeitgeist because mm-hmm. I am very sheltered and I don't watch the news so you know it's but it's I, I just think that they, there's, I, I it, it's sort of like, I guess it, it's kind of like predicting the weather in a way, because you know on a technical level, you can actually predict the weather, but what makes it so chaotic is that there are so many events that can influence, you know, the pattern of weather, that it becomes impossible to predict it. Yeah. Like, t- technically, if you had the ability to monitor every single air particle, like, on Earth, it really, a, a, like, every single particle in the universe, in, in a sense, like, you you would know the weather, it, you yeah. know, in a way. But, you know, we don't have that awareness. So, it, you know, it's 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 just like, it, it, it's, it's almost like we're butting our heads against against the answer because we mm-hmm. can't really see it for what it is. Because uh, it's it's one of those things that like like I quoted Oliver saying that it just you know our our cognizance of this changes the future of it. You know, I mean, to, if you want to go back to 1984, you know, which is what I thought of when you when you said American Horror Story 1984, but uh, you know, just whoever controls the past controls the future, and whoever controls the future controls the present. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> or absolutely. no, I, wait, wait. The, the, I, I think I flipped that around the wrong way, but you get my point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think as much as we deride, you know, the the music media elite and the, um, you know, the, the powers that be that determine what we listen to and blah, 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 uh, I don't envy their job for a minute. Because, oh, yeah. Because, you know, yeah. trying to figure out what's going to be popular, what's going to work in our culture, like, that that's so difficult. Oh, yeah. It's it, so it, hard it, to, like... It, pre- and the thing is, like... If you're late to the game, you're just you, you you're just kind of lame, I guess. Oh, and, and we <laughs> saw that. I mean, a great example is uh, I mean, there's there's so many examples in every in limp every biscuit. Genre. Yeah, like new metal is a great example where like how many... or, or just no, actually post grunge because yeah. it, like Breaking how... Benjamin came out with a new album. Like how many bargain okay. bin new metal and post grunge bands are there that like. Once labels were like, oh, this is popular. They tried to like pour as much money into it as popular, but it just didn't hit. And for me personally, uh, Deathcore, like there are so many, like even, um, you know, probably around, 
2010, maybe like the late 2000s, early 2010s, just an influx of um, derivative, Deathcore. like even yeah. more derivative deathcore bands that now, like I could, I could, I don't want to rattle off, but I don't want to insult these <laughs> bands, but it's true. It's difficult to predict what's going to work, which is, is probably why when this nostalgic trend did work, they, they thought, hey, let's do it. You know, let's yeah. double down. I, and it, it, it's really tough because a lot of this is predicated on the idea that, um, you know, not all art or not all pop is genuine, which, I mean, obviously we, we know that's true. But, you know, the fact that all of these, um, a lot of these pop artists are supported for ulterior motives or maybe encouraged to go different routes for it you know because that's something i always wondered about taylor swift like did she always want to make an 80s inspired pop album you know was were those because she wasn't just a country artist for like an album or two i think she released like three or four albums that were just yeah, like she, she i mean she, she was already pretty much a superstar before exactly. and it was specifically she was a country pop superstar and then suddenly i think red came before 1989 red was where she really started you know like i knew you were trouble when you walked in like songs that were much more pop focused but still had a little bit of a country and then 1989 blew it open you know was that genuine yeah. was that behind the scenes where that's they to tap the question yeah. isn't it like and it's the the thing is like there's there's no way to come out of that you know without being cynical almost exactly and but, but which is why i find the best answer to the question is sort of to sort of let the question go mm-hmm. in a sense and like you know like you know who knows if you know lincoln park you know were trying to do like 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 for like their final album like like who knows if, if that was genuine or not or were, mm-hmm. whether they, they were just chasing this thing that had been you know the sound that had been dead for almost a decade now mm-hmm. you know you really can't tell and i I think that it's i think more important than any sort of analysis or you know idea of what we consider the truth is just enjoyment you know i Mm -hmm. i think that needs to prevail over everything else yeah uh what in this in this context anyway uh because you know art you know art can do a lot of things but but i think the biggest thing it can do is just, you know, provide enjoyment, provide pleasure for people. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I do want to jump on one last thing before we move on, because it seems like this conversation is dying down a little bit, uh, because you, you were saying that that uh, you like sort of how these corporations are, you know, sort of trying to market to certain generations of people as they grow up. Mm-hmm. Um and sort of, you know, listening in sort of, you know, so it's funny because like my, the, the stuff I was nostalgic for as a kid or even a teenager, I actually really have no interest in <laughs> anymore. Interesting. It's, but, but for the most part, because like, I remember like as a kid, like I was like obsessed with like the army and like with like, you know, military warfare and things like that. And I can't really say I'm, I'm obsessed with, with guns killing people. <laughs> as, as much anymore I guess a good uh, su- surprise surprise <laughs> uh you know it was just I, I think it was more of an aesthetic thing you know just seeing sort of the shape of you know sort of some of the way like artillery was designed and like you know like for me it was like fighter jets like i always thought they were like the coolest looking things um you know but i, I just you know i'm not really into it as much or like but but even with music like we, we had our nostalgia episode uh, a couple weeks ago and uh you know i i was saying like how much i just did not enjoy white zombie this time around or like yeah you know things like that i'm thinking about like what i used to listen to and i just don't have the same like thoughts about it like i don't know like i i'm willing to admit if something that i used to like was bad or not you know but like because like example like i just had uh lincoln parks um a thousand sons on yesterday which, I mean, controversial opinion, I think that's the best Linkin Park album ever. Uh, I, I think it's, like, their opus, their magnum opus, like, just the highlight of their career. Uh, I am not, like, a very unpopular opinion, but, um, you know, I that was something that I think I got into, like, right around when it came out, so probably around, like, 2011, 2012, I think. And, like, that, like... 
I didn't even like it then. That's the funny thing is like I slowly got into it. But like, you know, when I'm listening to it now, I'm not thinking about like, oh, yeah, those were good times. I'm thinking about like, wow, this is really good music, you know, and like I really like this. So not to say that I I always do that because, I mean, like, you know, uh, I I mean, listen to Meteora, ironically, is is more of a throwback to me. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) but anyway, anyway. Yeah, and I think that that kind of speaks to the different ways we react to nostalgia. Because for for me, yeah, like all of the music I listen to um, from my childhood is almost always, you know, during a point where I just really need, I need something simple. You know, I need something that is, you know, it's just going to scratch that specific, very very See, specific itch. I, I I think you know I music for for us you know as as kids was very different uh did you just between the two of us because you know you, you had parents who were like really avidly into going to concerts and things like that and like i i felt like that time in my parents life was sort of already had already happened mm-hmm. uh you know so music was only like kind of like a cursory thing you know it was just something that we had on in the car or uh you know so i i really didn't get into it really until like high school uh you know so it i i guess the old stuff that i used to listen to doesn't really hold as much of a candle uh as or i i don't hold a candle for it as much as i think some other people do mm-hmm. um not to say either way is bad um you know it's actually kind of funny because i remember you know one of the earliest artists i remember listening to was billy joel mm-hmm. and uh there was a time in like mm, around 2015 uh, that I just like I don't know, maybe 2014 that I I couldn't stand Billy Joel so you know and but my but my my eventual uh, you know re falling in love with him I guess is uh, you know is more due to present circumstances than nostalgia but yeah all right so you ready to um, move on to this other conversation yes my, is there my a topic one of my favorite topic names. Yes. Ever come up with. <laughs> Which is? Are we running out of instruments? <laughs> so I, I, you know, it is funny is because th- this question actually probably interests me more than the nostalgia one. Uh, be, 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 just because I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I'm probably I can probably answer it a little better. <laughs> uh, just I, I because mean, I just just to be clear. It's a really snarky way to. I mean, I think there is a nugget of, of truth in there, but obviously, it's it's worded in the dumbest way possible. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I I'm just saying, like, it you bring it, it brings up a really interesting point, though, that there aren't you know the musical innovations of the past, you know, are like they, it's it's two very different things nowadays. Like you know, I think in the '60s, hearing a synthesizer was like you know hearing something out of this world you know and like that's part of the reason that you know they they used uh was it dahlia derbyshire i think that's her name uh her her music for the doctor who theme uh-huh. you know because it gives like that otherworldly feel or like just the idea of a theremin playing is like we instantly like think of aliens or at least i do i think of aliens whenever i whenever i hear a theremin play you know so it, it's it's just it's very interesting how in in a way, you know, this is kind of like a very valid question. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, though, I I I I would I would honestly I I would argue back saying that there are actually a lot of new instruments uh, being invented all the time. It's just that I I think the way we look at them is very different. Because I, I think since the onset of electronic music in the 50s and 60s, you know, um, it's sort of, you know, similar to what I was saying with nostalgia, it's sort of taking like this recursive bend almost. Like it, it, it's, it, it's sort of become an insular thing. Uh, like you just think of electronic music and electronic production and you just sort of leave it at that. Mm-hmm. When in reality, there, there's a lot going on within that. Because I mean, like just 60s alone... You know, you just have people using oscillators and things like that. You know, you have... Uh, I was actually listening to this this morning. Um, 
Morton Subotnik's uh, Silver Apples of the Moon, which was considered, I think it was like the first electronic composition ever commissioned by a record company. Awesome. Uh, and it was played on a, on a Buchla, uh synth, like could be actually like the one of the first synthesizers like ever available, like ever made. Like he actually had like Morton Subotnik was, I, I'm pretty sure he actually had to talk to uh, Buchla, the, the, the inventor, um, about getting this thing made like it was it it was like literally like that small you know so we have that and then like within a decade you're moving into like you know people using the like you know emerson lake and palmer using these live pink floyd using these live you know and then in the 80s it gets even more insane because you know people start to figure out that you know instead of having everything modular you can actually you know hardwire a lot of these parts together and sell them cheaper um and so you know you have you know a little more you, you, like you sort of have fm synthesis become more of a thing in the 80s uh you know which is it's partially responsible for sort of the way the 80s sound mm-hmm. uh because of just like that clanging type of percussion that you can get from from fm synthesis which uh for those who don't know what it is it's basically uh, it, FM stands for frequency modulation. It's basically the, the idea of, of an oscillator or another modulation source influencing another oscillator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can get some really interesting effects from that. Uh, you know, so it, it's just, and I mean, this is literally just, I think, like, like what I've just talked about is just like 30 years. And, you know, 30 years from from then is now and you know so many things have changed still so it's it, it's not to say that there aren't any new instruments it's just that those instruments aren't as uh openly you know popular i guess or uh, like openly known as i think they used to be you know like i i think you know back in the 60s the synthesizer was a big thing you know and i mean quite literally too because you know some of them would take up like a whole room uh but like you know i i i think now it's it's just a little little different like you know kind of do you remember when fruity loop studio was 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 like free like way back in the day yeah yeah like it's sort of like that like i i like it's things like that and like ableton like a lot of digital audio workstations that are like sort of the norm now uh that you know a decade ago weren't really around like it was mostly like pro tools and stuff like that uh, so it's just, you know, I, 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 I think it's just about, uh, sort of the popular awareness of the instrument, if, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- I, I, I'm sorry, I, I feel like I'm taking up this whole conversation, but I have one more thing I just want to bring up because I, I think it's sort of related to this. Um, and just, you know, uh, in his book, uh, Steal Like an Artist, Austin Cleon, uh, you know, has like these rules of, or not really rules, but like sort of guidelines for creativity. And um, his, I think his final one is uh, creation is subtraction, which uh, basically that limitations are, can breed creativity. And I think that this plays heavily into this, this whole argument, you know, because, you know, we let like, in a way we almost have too many options Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, nowadays with uh, with a Eurorack system, you can make almost any sound mm-hmm. possible. You know, even with like Ableton, like you, if you have Ableton Pro, you can do literally anything, you know. So it's it, it's it the options, the doors are so much wider now. And so, you know, as opposed to before where like, you know, Carline Stockhausen, it was it was like an amazing thing for him to produce a sine wave. You know, so like it's just interesting, like just that. Um, I I think that might almost be the big the bigger question within this overall topic, is that you know I, I think maybe the reason that we're aware of why are there no new instruments is because nobody is really like that there there isn't really a challenge to not uh, to to you know have some limits to music making as much like it, it, i mean it, i'm speaking generally because there's like a whole like you know uh scene of like 
you know people on YouTube who are just are actually trying to just do away with digital audio workstations for the most part, you know, like things like that. So it, it's you know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> no, but I think it also probably in part ties back to a conversation we were having earlier is, you know, um, when it when it's as difficult as it is to predict what people are going to listen to, what people are going to enjoy, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, if, if, yeah. a, if a pretty standard setup of a relatively simple beat, some synths, you know, some auto-tune, you know, and that's a very simple or simplified summary of what most pop music is but um yeah. if it why would a producer introduce really bizarre instrumentation or no, i mean not but you know for the mainstream or you know why would they be adventurous when what works does work and yeah you know, to your point you're talking about how it was crazy back in the day when you could even use a set or you could even use any type of you know what we understand today as electronic music um when that itself was just adventurous. I mean, if you listen to, uh, like, uh, the first Suicide album, I yeah. mean, that is such a, such a, especially if you listen, you compare it to modern day electronic music, like, it's, it's so simple. Like, it's so, um... Yeah, but it, the, I think the weird thing is that it's so unlike anything that has happened but, yeah, before it I or mean, after it. Don't get me wrong, that yeah. album is amazing. Like, that they, is such... like I, I, it's funny. It's funny you bring that because I actually have it right here on my desk uh, because oh, nice. I wanted to listen to it. It's, <laughs> so. it's just it's such a great album. But in terms of like the actual like electronic structure, it's yeah, super simple. Especially like guys like One Tricks Point Never or even you know like Fortet or I mean you can listen to any number of electronic artists that have done crazy. They, they've I sampled mean, or one, one yeah they've they've sampled crazier things like they've done. The bull- they're also doing a lot, a lot of different things with it. Like I think that's something to look into as well, because like you know, suicide you know was in like this scene of New York and like you know early early no wave, where like people were just really pissed off mm-hmm. and like and New York was just a shithole that you were just gonna get mugged in. Yeah, and you know it, it was just like this stewing, like cultural boiling pot you know that that just had to burst and that was sort of how they burst and i think there was like no other way for suicide i think to sort of play their music except to you know basically just have like this synth going and just playing like all these like arpeggios and like all this crap while you know one of them just goes yeah yeah johnny johnny suicide or what what was the name of that song i can't remember now um fuck i have it right here too um, um Oh damn it! Oh, wait, Frankie Teardrop. Frankie yeah. Teardrop, yeah. Let's hear it for Frankie. Of, of, uh, of all people that influenced influenced Bruce Springsteen, which I still think is still one of my favorite influence oh, stories. Actually, if you're interested in that, there's a really good book um, that is all about uh, the early New York scene, uh, and suicide plays a huge role in it. Um, I yeah. can't remember. I have it on my shelf, and I look at it all the time because that is the coolest cover. Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna have to look it up because I can't read it from here. But it's uh, like it's called like Buildings on Fire. Um, let's see, Buildings on Fire book, New York. <laughs> I love how professional we are. Love goes to Buildings on Fire. So it's it's five years in New York. Um, so he, he uh, Will Hermes is the author. He he basically so it he covers uh 1973 to 1977. And so we, you know, he talks about everybody from Suicide to Bruce Springsteen to Patti Smith to, uh, you know, early, early hip hop, mm. you know, like, so it is super interesting to mm. see where sort of all of that comes and goes and, and, and I mean, and like, they're just, I don't know, it's, it's a really cool read. Um, Philip Glass is, you know, he talks about Philip Glass and he talks about Meredith Monk, mm-hmm. Laurie Anderson, even. Uh, Velvet Underground, obviously. Mm-hmm. I, I think a little bit, but yeah, yeah. And, and anyway, you know, my my point was at the time, obviously, what Suicide was doing was, was super innovative. Was super. I mean, even uh, look at Tangerine Dream as another example. Like at the time, yeah, super super innovative. And, and you know, I'm a huge. Tan- I love Tangerine Dream. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But if you look at today's electronic music, they can do. They could do what they were doing at the, at that time, 
much more easily, oh, yeah. much more quickly. I, and again, that's just because of the nature of the technology at hand. Um, but it, it, think, it's more law, you know, that you know, it's it, it's going to exponentially sort of increase in capacity. You know, um, absolutely, and that's why you know the idea of, for example, a band like Joy Division, where you know they they came about mid to late seventies, and then by the early eighties, you know, before Ian Curtis passed. They introduced synths, or they introduced um, electronic songs. You know, songs like "Love Will Tear Us Apart," and, and you know, obviously "Love Love Will Tear Us Apart Again." I still wonder what direction. Like, would they have really become like a like a sadder version of New Order? I don't know. Like, you know, like, who, I, you know, who I, knows? I feel like they were. I mean, like "Closer" is a tough album to listen to. Yeah, it's. I, I, I think it's a little underrated just because "Unknown Pleasures" is a little bit more. Yeah, um, like a I mean, it, more appeal. But, Part of that has to do with the album cover, but yes, that's so iconic. Um, yeah, but all that to say, like back in the day, Joy Division, and you know, there's a number of other examples. Bands introducing, or even Rush, you know, for you know, a topical example, Rush, going from like kind of a, a pretty true blue '70s hard rock band to pretty prominently introducing synths into their sound. Oh yeah, um, just full on prog. And that's like, wow, that's crazy. But now, like a band introducing synths, you're like, oh, that's cool. But like, it's not. Like, I feel like today we don't have that kind of revelation. Well, like I, a band... I, I, I think we do. It just doesn't show up as much in sort of the cultural, like, like in the mainstream cultural zeitgeist. Because, like, you know, I, I mean, I like I, I think, like, Eurorack and, like, modular synthesis is, like, mm-hmm. hugely unexplored territory, you know, uh, for, you know, pop music. But it isn't to say that it isn't around. Mm-hmm. And so. I, I think because of the the prevalence and the, the ease of use of of uh, modern DAWs and, and what have you, um, it, it's less noticeable. Like obviously, back in the '80s, someone had to be on stage with a synthesizer for the most part. Whereas now, like all the the studio tricks and the things that modern pop and and other artists can do, uh, like what I've talked before about um, some of the bands I've seen in, in the metal scene who all of like the crazy in not, not in every case crazy but like the synth work and all the experimental stuff in their sound they're able to just throw it on the pa you know they can just yeah. play it over the pa like they can just kind of it's just a backdrop like it's to, all stuff that to, they've done to this. be fair that's exactly what rush did uh when they were playing live they they, they were already have that type of stuff queued up and they just hit a foot switch I, and it would well, play. I mean, I think so. in some instances, um, Getty Lee did play synth on a few. I mean, at least... yeah, yeah, but 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 I mean, like, like I think it was more like they were trying to keep it to a trio, and so you know, how are you able to do that when you like when you already have three people who are very good at their instruments playing their instruments already? Sure, I mean, so, at least the footage I've seen, Getty Lee has yeah. played synth, you know, like here. And there. Yeah, yeah, but 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 you know, they, they also use a lot of like you know, pre-recorded stuff that sure. they just kind of click on. And I think that's specific to, like, they all, you know, like you said, they are a power trio. They're very, you know, people, when you think of Rush, you think of those three, those three dudes. Whereas, you know. <laughs> when I think of Rush, I, I think of, I think of, was it, was it live in Rio? Was it Rush in Rio where, like, they had the, uh, the fucking chicken rotisseries on stage? In, I like, don't remember that aspect of that. They, the, oh, they, they would always do that in concerts, like, they, I, I'm trying to remember if it was Russian Rio or not. Um, they had like washing machines, even, and like like people like doing yes, laundry and I, I like some that. shit like yeah, that. Yeah, that. It, it was it was supposed to be for the sound, but it was just like so fucking bizarre. Sorry, it's, it's so so you know off the rails. But I just love thinking about that when I think about Rush. So, <laughs> uh, they, they just they have such a good sense of humor. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um. So I think, I mean, to kind of to summarize this, it, it's not so much that we've run out of instruments, it's just that they've manifested in, in different ways, they've evolved yeah. in unique ways, um, but it just, it, it was a stray observation I made because, you know, the advent of electronics being as prevalent as they are, you know, that's just not something, like nowadays it feels like, it's just, it, it's kind of taking... Um, software or it's taking things we already have in different directions in a way or, or evolving what we've already done like well, we don't necessarily have that moment where 
holy shit, like, what's that on stage? Like, everyone was used to the big band format, and then obviously the kind of the rock band format came, and, and then holy shit, someone has a synthesizer on stage. You know, what even is a synthesizer? Um, yeah, or, or like then, nowadays, like, guitar, or, you yeah, know, exactly. or, or, or I'm thinking of... Um, Oh, what's his name? It's not Rick Astley. It's uh, the, the dude from Cheap Trick who had like you know like the the the, the four necked guitar. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, or, yeah. Or like Michelangelo Badio who had like he had like like a like a radial four neck guitar <laughs> that he could just spin <laughs> around and play and like he could, he could play like two necks at once. You know. Yeah. Which, but by the way, if, if you haven't looked that up on YouTube worth looking up super fun to watch <laughs> uh, but I mean ultimately I don't think it um, I mean it doesn't really matter how a band makes music as long as it's yeah. good and I, yeah. I think that's why um, I think that's why it was such an interesting revelation to me is that we haven't had an advent of like a really new um, set of instruments yet bands have continued to evolve their sounds and in some cases draw you know this is not a pop music example by any means but one of my favorite albums of last year was uh, by a band called uh, Hashashin and the yeah. album is uh, Baraksan and they used a lot of old um, you know kind of classic instrumentation from different parts of the world you know like the Moroccan uh, Krakebs, um the Irish Buzuki the Persian setar, the Pamiri setor, the Afghan rabab. You know, I didn't know what most of those things were, you know, yeah. before I listened to this album, but obviously they've been around for a long time. So maybe this is its own form of nostalgia. It's bands kind of rediscovering these classical traditional instruments and using them in new ways. Uh, maybe, yeah, yeah. you know, it's people I, taking advantage of the software at hand and advancing it even further. So I think it's just... I, I, Sorry, I, I think it's. I think it's just. It's. It's worth mentioning too that I think since that time that we're talking about, where like, you know, people would be like, "Oh, what's that on stage?" Mm-hmm. It, music has just so just like branched off into a million different directions. Yeah, and with the advent of the internet, just even more so. So it, it it's it's almost kind of hard to be able to sort of put a general stamp on it. Mm-hmm. In terms of because I think scenes and like having like these little sort of microcultures uh, are just so much more you know present now, and I, I think you know sort of take up uh, a lot of you know I, like I I think there's a lot to look in there uh, just when it comes to instrumentation things like that. So yeah, you know I think even even the way you use classic instruments. I mean, if you look at the way that the guitar has been used in mm. so many different genres over time, I mean. Even in genres like metal, just just down tuning guitars. Oh yeah, and like how or, fast or, you play it, you know how you, you know how you tune it, you know what rhythm you play it. You know, do you do a tremolo? Do you do a breakdown? Like it's it's kind of crazy to think that even you know nothing nothing significant has changed about the guitar necessarily, yeah. but the way it's used. But the, the way pe- it's used, yeah, the yeah. pedals that are used and, and the the way that the guitars are built. Um, oh I yeah, think I, that's or, another another angle. Is that just I mean, the I, way. That, the way that classic instruments are created and you know, kind of, you know, played. utilized. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it, you know, the first thing that popped up to my mind when you mentioned the guitar was uh, Keith Rowe from AMM, uh-huh. who uh, you know famously just stopped playing his guitar normally and just puts it on a tabletop and, and just plays it on a tabletop. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just like like. It, it, it's the, the the innovations have come I, I have become smaller but no less significant i think mm-hmm. I, yeah i guess uh i mean some are more significant than others i mean and not always for good ways you know autotune is probably the biggest one i can think of in terms of like you know a new instrument that that's really being used and it, it, even that's starting to sort of fade out at, at least in the way you know it sort of came up, you know, with like T Pain, you know, just doing doing his thing and like Future kind of mm-hmm. going after that. Like Auto Tune's gotten to the point now that it's it's almost unrecognizable. Um, like like you know like, like some of the software is just that advanced now. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, so yeah, uh, you have any final words with this thing or? No, I I really appreciate that we segmented these two topics off into their own episode because I think they both create unique, interesting conversations. I feel oh, like yeah. um, 
I feel like that's kind of the point of this podcast overall is that we we take ideas that um, kind of spawn out of our normal conversations and we talk about them in a way that brings up um, completely different angles, completely new ways of thinking about things. Um, yeah, I, I I I think it's also that you know I, I and I think we have this written down in sort of like our our podcast motto is just that music's not like music's more than just sort of a hobby for us it's it's mm-hmm. kind of like a way of life so yeah and it's it's not solely let's find new music to listen to it's also yeah. let's find new ways to listen to the music we've always listened to or, or yeah, just it, in general let's find new ways to approach that's why i you know we've talked we've joked i think either last week or week before i've already listened to almost 100 albums this year and you know some of the eps demos splits you know there's a lot they're not all full-length albums but the reason that i even if it's only one listen the reason i love to listen to new music from different places different genres is because i want to refine my palate you know i want to listen to a bunch of unique interesting forms of music so that every time i approach a new album i have that in my back pocket you know Mm. i have a unique um you know, basis with which to analyze that music. And I think talking about these larger issues is kind of a more intellectual and streamlined way to, to do that is you just, you get to the heart. You're not just listening to a new album and then referencing it later. You're getting the heart of, you know, why do I like music? How do I listen to music? Um, I think it's cool. Yeah. No, yeah. it's, it, you know, music's a way of life, man. So art's a way yeah, of life. I mean, it's crazy to think back to a point where I, you know, even when I thought I was getting into music and I thought like good music was all like the deathcore genres or even before I listened to music that seriously, it gets crazy to think back to a time where I didn't listen to music the way I do now. Like, oh, yeah. It's, it's, I, su- it's such a hobby and such a like, actually, it's not even a hobby. It's just a way of life. You know, it's just. Yeah. Something I, mean, I, I, I actually so have deeply. a whole little story for uh, for my album of the week. Uh, but it, that, that's actually kind of related to what you're talking about. But great. Well, yeah. I mean, we're we're there. So if you want to. Do you want to go you, first? I, tradition usually suggests that you go first. Good yeah, stuff. and I'm happy to do that. <laughs> uh, I, um, It's really weird for me is that most other genres I'll kind of cycle through throughout my listening. You know, like, you know, I'll, listen, I'll pick a metal album to bring in the car, then something rock related, then electronic. Like, you know, you just jazz, it goes through that. But for me, when I get on a hip hop tear, I just, I get all the hip hop. I can fit in my car hmm. at one time and just I just get really really into it. I, I don't know why. I really can't explain it. Um, but just this week I've been on such a '90s hip hop kick. It's not even funny. And '90s hip hop is arguably the best hip hop. It's it's a it's it's so good. Like just '90s hip hop is nothing well, like it. Is 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 this where that joke that 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 that, that Lauren quote you sent me came from? Uh, that so one of the albums so the album you're referencing I did listen to that one there's a ton that I listened to but I decided I want to spotlight kind of a, a deep cut um, right. just because you know I have a platform you know why not uh, I really want to spotlight these guys because I think it was the Neil Drop who talked about this album and I bought it you know based solely on that recommendation and it's one of the best 90s hip hop albums I've ever heard and it's it sucks that it's not as um you know, not as celebrated as other albums that came out around that time, especially because some of the albums I listened to um, this week, I think are not as good, but are more critically acclaimed than this one. Mm. And it is Stress, The Extinction Agenda by Organized Confusion. And that's organized spelled with a Z instead of an S and organized and a K instead of a C in confusion, because you you gotta be different. You gotta be unique. Um, I mean, that's hip hop. <laughs> exactly. Um, but what I love about this, and this features, um, I think the, the MC that people will recognize most perhaps is uh, Pharaoh Monch. Uh, Pharaoh Monch has done some solo stuff that people have uh, captured onto, but also uh, Prince Poe. So it's a duo. And I just feel like this is the perfect intersection of what people go to kind of mainline 90s hip hop for what they go to underground hip hop for both in the production and the lyrics. Something I love a lot about the lyrics is that they touch on a lot of the topics that you expect from this period of hip hop, but it's done in a way that is almost more earnest. It's not focused as much on being tough. 
you know, obviously yeah. the, the name of the album, there's a song called Stress and a song called The Extinction Agenda. And those two songs, uh, after an intro, open up the, the album. And there's a few other songs. It talks about the true emotion behind living in in a kind of a depressed economic area. The, the, the actual, like, feeling of being stressed. And, like, that seems so silly and trivial to talk about with, you know, kind of the general topics that hip-hop artists talk about. Mm. But just, like, it's tough. You know, it was tough living. You know, they're they're based in Queens. It's tough living in a, in a you know, a uh, a particularly depressed part of Queens, or like living in a, in, a, in a part of the, you know, New York City that's economically stressed or is just, um, basically Crime not not, not, not as affluent yeah. as the surrounding areas. And I think yeah. just approaching it because other artists approach it like you know I'm tough, like I came from this tough area, but they don't necessarily talk about like yeah, like it fucking sucked. <laughs> it's it's it yeah. really it really sucks to be from this area. Yeah, I think... actually, I I had uh, only built for Cuban links on yesterday, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it sort of reminded me of just like because I mean I feel like Raekwon gets you know to the heart of that pretty well, yeah. but even even with that though, that there's like this veneer of like machismo that's attached to it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's it's I mean I've actually never heard of this this album so i really need to listen to this now it's really really good the last thing i'll say about it that i love is that it's a cool clean 45 minutes which is still i mean relatively long but it just there's no unnecessary skits like all the skits kind of help extend from the story and they're really short um Mm. and the songs themselves are substantive i think there's only 13 tracks in the album period and it's just it 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 lasts the perfect amount of time it's not too nice. short, not too long, because and I'll only mention one other album just because it was a great basis of comparison. Um, Ready to Die by Biggie Smalls. Okay. Yeah. Um, I listened to that right before. Right, I think I listened to it right after I listened to this one, and that album is stuffed with filler. Like I guess mm-hmm. I never approached it that way before, but there are so many awful skits. There are a lot of songs that are meh. Like I don't think there are any truly bad songs in the album. But there are a lot of songs that are really just mediocre in comparison to some of the highlights. And it kind of stinks that that album is so celebrated when you have underground guys like Organized Confusion where every song is great. All the lyrics are great. There's no dumb skits. They didn't waste any time. And yeah, I just, I kind of wish this album was more celebrated because I think it's better than a lot of the more like the more popular albums from this, this era. We'll, we'll, we'll have to talk about it on, on some episode. Because yeah, I'm always up for listening to some boom bap. So it's really damn good. Just a really right. damn good album. Well, you, you know what's funny about this this week, this these albums of the week, is that usually you're the one who pulls up, you know, something new, and I'm the one who pulls up something old. Yeah. And uh, it's the other way around now. Uh, <laughs> so a little backstory because I felt like this was kind of a funny story. Um, my stereo crapped out on me oh, the other day. Sense. Yeah. Uh, it was really bizarre, and I was just about to put in uh, some protest the hero, and like I was so mad. And then the weirdest thing is like, it it's fine now. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> like, weird. It, it somehow just magically repaired itself, even though like I'm pretty sure I smelled something burning in it. <laughs> and yet I've had it plugged in for like the last two days. Nothing wrong at all with it. That's all so fine. Weird. Yeah, but. You know, that time got me thinking, like, wow, I really, like, I listen to music a lot. And I just, like, I, I never really, like, I knew it was important to me, but I never realized how important it was to me. Because, like, I was ready to just, you know, plop down 400 bucks for a new stereo. Just like that, without even thinking about it. You know? So, uh, you know, it just speaks a lot. But, but, so during that time that it wasn't working, uh, I started, you know, listening some, to some new stuff. Because I'm like, you know, I need to... I need to listen to some new stuff anyway. Uh, and uh, there, there was one album that came out this week that uh, you know, I listened to that I really enjoyed and I thought was worth shouting out. It's um, Absurd in the Anthropocene by uh, Dan Rosenboom. Uh, oh. So, yeah. Uh, which we've talked about Dan Rosenboom before. We've talked about um, you know, Burning Ghosts, uh, one of my favorite bands from like, the last couple years. Uh, and they're... Uh, Dan Rosenboom's label, uh, Orenda Records, uh, and we, I've actually I've been looking forward to this release. Uh, we were talking about it on uh, you know sort of our upcoming releases episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it is really interesting. It's, it's a little on the longish side. It's a little over an hour, I think. But it's like it's just chocked full of really interesting stuff. Uh, like Dan's playing on this thing. Dan's trumpet playing on this thing is just out of this world. Like you know, he has a lot of like you know phrasing that you know I think sort of reminds me of like Wadada Leo Smith, which he was actually taught by Wadada Leo Smith uh, oh, way cool. way back in the that. day. Yeah, uh, there's a whole there's a whole thing there. We, oh man, I, I I wish we could have him on. That'd be awesome. But um, he so like you know he has like that part, but but he he it just really feels like he keeps coming into his own even more with each album he puts out, uh, and like the backing instrumentation on this album just kind of shifts the gamut like everywhere from like jazz to like rock to even like some electronic influence numbers um you know it, it was just a really interesting listen it's something i really want to return to because I, I i think that like there's there's something so dynamic about this that like it sort of sits in my memory a little more than a lot of like similar albums have as of late um so yeah, Dan Rosenboom, absurd in the Anthropocene, which is how I'm pronouncing it. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation. It's but. it's a unique. I mean, it's it's literally a, a new word. You know, it's it's meant to describe our, you know, our current age. So, I think really? how we pronounce it. We're, yeah, because the idea is that it's you know, we're currently in the uh, oh the, right the yeah the, the Anthropocene age. Yeah, yeah, and that it's 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 a different paleological age because of the way that we're treating the environment and treating the planet. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, which is why I thought the uh, I call it Anthropocene Anthropocene Extinction by Cattle Decap was uh, a pretty badass album title. Um, <laughs> awesome album cover. <laughs> yes, Just like like uh, Gorilla Man eating like something. <laughs> it, it's not my favorite of. Oh, that's uh, that's Monolith of Inhumanity, which is also a great. Oh, name. oh yeah, it is. Yeah, um, right. It, 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 uh, uh, Anthropocene is the guy basically like the. The, the, the dead pinata, body, yeah, with like all the trash coming out. Um, yeah, I would yeah. say that their last three albums have kind of gone downhill in terms of quality, but <laughs> I still like that name a lot. So yeah, all right. Well, cool. Well, it's really it is really yeah. interesting that we kind of swapped. Usually, I pick a new album, you pick an old album. But I mean, I usually I listen to a lot of like I usually just you know throw on a CD from from my collection. So mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the time, but yeah, it's nice to change it up. So, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we will be back next week. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, if you're interested, uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on... uh, iTunes pod, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast. Basically, uh, we are on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about, or questions, anything like that, uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Sayshara Podcast on Twitter, and our email I think is Sayshara Podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.